Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Stephen, welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, I'm Stephen Skolny. I'm a, a digital creator, engineer, a designer, entrepreneur, and um, happy to be here chatting to you today, Ryan. Fantastic. Do you want to tell us what the digital workspace means to you, please? Yeah, I mean, I really think of the digital workspace, it gets bigger and bigger with every passing year. You know, in the early days when I was younger, it was very, computer usage was very narrow and very focused. But these days, with all these emerging technologies, and not only that can affect and impact the world, but I can also sense and understand the world. It seems like it's getting bigger and bigger with every every passing day. Myself, I'm most passionate about the web and web design. And in terms of my focus in the digital workspace, I've been very focused these past couple of years on how people build sophisticated web products and that whole workflow. That's where I spent most of my career, design development and, and building products on the web. And so sort of zoom in, you know, from the whole world, I would say, you know, zooming in a bit in terms of my specific focus and the things that I'm most passionate about within the digital workspace would be the web and, you know, experiences that are delivered on the web and just seeing how these just keep getting better and better every year. Uh, and I'm reading your profile and you've read some interesting stuff. I mean, some VR stuff, which I'm interested to go to hear what your thoughts are. And then maybe tell us a bit about what, what Mighty Meld is. Uh, yeah, but... yeah. Mighty Meld, uh, basically what we're doing with Mighty Meld, it's inspired by game engines. And as you see, I've worked in a lot of different, I've built a lot of different kinds of products, right? From VR, gaming, mobile apps, web apps. And what I think is the coolest way to create experiences is, is the way game engines do it. And I think game engines, they yeah. need a certain yeah. level of viscerality to the experience. And they have these setups where you have your whole game laid out visually and you can play the game while you're playing the game, you can kind of pause it at any time and move things around and then keep playing. It's very essential for like level design. Imagine being in a first person shooter and you're like, oh, I can't quite see that enemy. Let's move the tree out of the way. And so I'm focused on this project called Mighty Meld, which is trying to bring that same experience to, to web design and web engineering. And if you've ever built a website, you know that when you're coding it, which is the route for like the most sophisticated experiences, there's a real divide between like CSS and all your JavaScript and the app itself. And there's this like back and forth experience that developers have, like going to the code and they're like, oh, get hot reloads and they go to the browser and they go back and forth and they're not really stitched together. And so what we're building is a, a visual way to, to make web apps. That's a lot like the way game engines work, where you actually visually see your app, you can pause time, move things around visually. It's all tied to the code. So you get that absolute control and just a faster way for people to build those kinds of, you know, typically more sophisticated web apps, but basically any kind of situation where people turn to code because they need that extra control over what they're doing, or they're doing something that just hasn't been done before. And so no one's really made a no-code platform for it. That's very interesting. So I'm involved with a business called Phoenix One, which would be a no-code, low-code platform for fintech apps. And we can pretty much make it APIs beautiful with, with our UI. And yeah. while you're talking, I'm wondering about how we could use Mighty Meld. And, and I don't know, I mean, obviously we're using some JavaScript, or well, using JavaScript on the front end, but I don't know if it's React aligned or if it's, what's the other one? Ah, I can't think what the framework is called now. A view. view is the other popular one, yeah, or Angular maybe. 
It's probably it's probably Angular. I think it's probably yeah. an Angular based one. But would yours your product work with with an Angular because it's JavaScript uh, or? No, we're we're focusing on React right now. You know, we could support other platforms, right? But it just in terms of we're early stage startup, we're focusing on React. Uh, just to keep yeah, sure. there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, our vision is to support all the all the frameworks. And I think the way to work for a product like yours is just you know as you're building out, it's a web-based builder, I assume, like a SaaS product. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like while you're building it out, it would just make it faster for your team to build new iterations on your product and to get that that user experience really really nice. You know, most of the actual nuts and bolts of UI is actually controlled by engineers these days. And I don't know what kind of engineers you have, but often you'll have this kind of design-oriented engineer who understands a little bit about what's going on. And Mighty Meld really unlocks that kind of visual thinking for those kinds of engineers. So yeah, I think it would just it's basically helps you build faster. It's really pretty simple, just a, a dev tool, just to, you know, helps you develop faster, just kind of supplements your experience. And yeah, I don't know how much you've gone into it, but a lot of developers use like in the browser they can kind of inspect what's going on and you can, mm -hmm. like see things right that actually shows you stuff that's already been processed and compiled and running in the dom it's very far away from your code and one way to think about mighty melds is it's kind of just like chrome dev tools except everything is phrased in terms of your actual code so you can understand what's happening in a way that's much closer to your source code and when you change things it actually updates your code with the same code you would have written yourself and so that experience that a lot of people are familiar with, which is like poking at their site and they kind of see things in these Chrome dev tools is made a lot more sensible because instead of the DOM, everything's in terms of your code. And as you change things, things update. And we also have like drag and drop building and a lot of those things that are familiar from no code tools that operate on your code, uh, which is a bit of a tongue twister to get into. It's like, is no code is a code. I really just think of it as WYSIWYG. It's easier to think of it as WYSIWYG, which is a bit of an old school term, but you know, you can take your existing components in your product, drag them around, move them around visually, and and basically have a lot of that power and ease that we all know is great from no code. And finding a way to make those same kinds of interfaces apply to you know coded products where it's kind of sky's the limit in terms of uh, the complexity of what you can build. How did you decide to get into this? Was it just a frustration for you? Or uh, a cool problem to solve? Or I mean, where does where's it, where's it sort of rank? I would say, I, you know, sometimes you don't really have a choice in these things. <laughs> 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 I would say it's, it, it was, you know, sometimes you get bit by an idea. And I think I've, that's kind of always how I've worked in my career. I've been, often I get very passionate about an idea. It doesn't happen that often, maybe once a decade or so. And, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about it. It is a problem that I've, yeah, about a, almost a decade, I've been thinking, you know, had conversations with this friend about a decade ago. And the very experience, we're building something for Unity. We're just like, you know, we're just flying through it. And then we were, we switched over to make a website for some reason. And we're just like, man, the web is broken. You know, like it has been a, a sort of a bee in my bonnet for a while now. It's like, why is the web so broken? You know, like, <laughs> app, you know, for, for Mac, they have like Xcode to your iPhone apps and all these tools exist. It's like, why is the web behind everything else? So it's been a bit of bee in my bonnet. But yeah, I just had this, uh, this moment a couple of years ago where I just, I, I was working a lot as a designer and seeing how Figma worked. And I was also working as a full stack engineer. And I just saw that the two were kind of the same and that they could be made the same and the same kinds of flows in Figma could be done on living source code. And yeah, from there, I just, I was like, oh, this is impossible. This, you know, I can't do this. It doesn't make any sense. It's too difficult. But I just kept plugging away at it and couldn't quite put it down. It's almost like I needed the world to tell me that it couldn't be done and the world never did. So 
working on now. <laughs> no, look, I mean, I think I think that's the the entrepreneurial thing, right? You want to solve problems. And I mean, there's a very famous quote from Nelson Mandela. It's impossible till someone does it. And you know, I subscribe to that completely. And sometimes you will. I mean, you know, you have those days where you just want to give it up and you make a little bit of momentum, like like fishing. You know, you have no bites the whole day, and then you get this one fight that it keeps you you don't get the fish, but it keeps you in the fight, you know, it makes the whole trip worthwhile. Yeah. And I think that's what, what happens with this sort of stuff. You start building the product that solves a problem and you don't make any progress. And all of a sudden you have this one little moment and you're like, oh, okay, we're on the right track. Or someone else says, oh, geez, I really need that. Because you think no one needs this thing anymore. And yeah. then they, they reinforce it. You're like, okay, so I'm not completely, completely lost. Exactly. You have that conversation with that person who's just, you know, dying to get it. And has already, what I love the most is running into people who are like, I've been thinking about this too. You know, it's like, they've been dreaming the same dream. And that's always really invigorating. Yeah, I, I just love the concept of a, of a mental visualization of your code, because I think that's the hardest thing about building software is that, you, you know, especially when you work in very abstracted things, you know, trying to keep track of all of it. And then I like your analogy of the game system, because I think that's that's what, what really resonates with people is, is some sort of story they can tie in with, with action, because that's really, you know, what's interesting for me. And I mean, would you, I mean, obviously in this day and age, a lot of AI involved, I mean, is this AI backed or is this, is this pretty much a, an old school sort of approach of building without AI? Yeah, no, so we, we do leverage AI to, you know, make things faster essentially, but a lot of our core technology is more traditional because we actually have a very like precise model of your code and what's happening. Uh, a lot of the AI manipulations have some ambiguity to what you may or may not do, use natural language, and it really excels at that fuzziness. And so there's spots in our app where you can, and actually we do have a, a vision around AI, which is really this experience of using your product. And as you're using it, giving prompts to the machine and saying, change this, change that, change that, and having the product evolve in front of your eyes. And we have some of that happening right now in terms of styling, where you can look at an element and say, change the way it looks and give it prompts and it updates it. But we don't, depart too much from those Lego bricks, which are the pieces of source code under the hood, right? And so our, yeah. our vision yeah. is not so much like, oh, you're not gonna understand. Right now, if you use AI repeatedly, things get to be a bit of a mess and people need to make <laughs> very sophisticated things. Our vision is more one of a human in the loop. And so we have AI prompts, we use AI to do iterations essentially. So say so go from this to this, to this, to this, and to rate it on your app. But we also have a lot of traditional technology. We have sort of a reverse compiler in a sense that takes your code, moves to some intermediary abstractions. And it turns out that those abstractions support our AI tremendously. So we can tell the AI, for example, what imports are being used or what things are supported. And so we can actually feed the prompts with more context. So it's really a hybridization of traditional technology and AI that allows us as we've gone deeper into AI, we've noticed there's some limitations where it doesn't understand certain things, or you'd have to send you know, a prompt with like your whole code base or something of that nature. And so we're finding ways to blend the traditional with AI. And the traditional is actually the really difficult part. The impossible part of our problem was making everything work backwards. And the AI is more something that is really easy for us because we built this foundation using traditional methods. We can kind of stand on the shoulders of the giants at OpenAI and, and those kinds of teams and use their code generators. But we're allowed to feed the system a lot more precisely because of all the traditional stuff we've done. When you were speaking, I don't know how close this is. I mean, my, my sort of development background is .NET and you know, I, haven't, I don't write code in anger anymore. But I was thinking about reflection as a concept when 
when you were speaking where you would basically generate, not necessarily generate your code, but you'd write your code against, you'd write your code to go read what's available in the object model of that component that you're using. And then by having that, you'd be able to, you know, almost smartly use those methods to go and do your activity without having to go write all the boring, you know, extrapolations of everything. And I wondered how close it was to that or I completely misunderstood the yeah, no, I think that um, makes sense. Like our, we we have this object model. I and mean, let me rephrase it and see if we're we're converging. But we have yeah. this object model and we can feed that to the LLM. And so we can feed information to the LLM to make it more effective and more efficient. And yeah, we also expose that object model to the user and allow the, the engineer in this case to see and manipulate things. And yeah, our goal is to kind of automate a lot of the boring things. And the simple things mm-hmm. and the trivial things just to take humans to that that higher level of creativity and power and really strip away a lot of the mundanity of it and leave more space for problem solving and more space for for intuition just by take and I, that's kind of how i see the role of ai in in engineering at least now using tools like copilot in terms of traditional coding it really helps like my favorite use case for it is just debug logs you know just like prints out great debug statements like it just saves me from having to think mm. about writing those debug statements, right? And so it doesn't actually have to solve the whole problem to be really a huge productivity enhancer. Yeah, 100% right. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than than writing that sort of stuff out, which is not useful. I mean, it's useful when it's broken, but it's not useful yeah. when it's not broken. And yeah. I mean, the amount of time, I mean, you know, as I say, most of my stuff was .NET, Microsoft stuff. You know, the amount of time you see the same error given to you, like third-party components thrown an exception, but you're like, but which third-party component has thrown the exception? Yeah. <laughs> you know, tell me a little bit more. Give me something, you know, and then you have to go dig through a whole stack trace. And yeah. if you could just, you know, if, and, you know, I mean, obviously you're not going to solve all these problems, but just having some intelligence that can give you that generated boilerplate that lines up with, with the component you've just built. And when the error happens, it's a correctly formatted message that, you know, it's nice for the user, but you can also have the technical person go, oh, yeah, okay, I know what that is. We can, you know, I kind of know, yeah. I kind of know where to look for that thing uh, yeah. versus the generic error that people write off to while because they get bored. What, what about multi-language and that sort of stuff? Is that something you'd be able to help develop a cater for or, or not? Things like internationalization, yes. you mean? Yeah, yeah I think, I, I mean, we're, at least with Mighty Meld, we're more focused on the, the visual. And so sometimes you have, like, I guess certain requirements about, say, right to left or left to right in terms of language modes. And, you know, we have a kind of multi-browser setup, so you could see both of those operating at the same time and sort of fine-tune, you know, do changes to a component once, see it update both languages to help understand, just make sure the layout and the user experience is good for both languages, or maybe you have a language like German, which tends to have long words. And so, yeah, this sort of gets into some of the multi-browser things we do, where we could show you multiple views of your page, and then you could actually make an update to one part of code and see it update at different responsive breakpoints or for different languages. So that we, we support well. In terms of the framework for setting up internationalization, right? like there's a lot of scaffolding that goes into that. You know, we have your JSON files or language maps or something like that. We don't help much with that at all. We're more like set that up your way. And that's a lot of our philosophy for some of the stuff deeper in the guts is do it your way and our tool will work around however you do it. And so we're very focused on the front end and the the visual part of your app. And that's kind of our philosophy is we're going to make it a lot faster for you to do the UI and the visual parts kind of where design thinking could come in to play a little bit. But, you know, as for the guts, the guts are yours to build any way you, you want. That's really something that's been missing in a lot of the, the no-code tools 
and you know no code as you know is growing every year and like getting you know yeah. <laughs> you know but code is growing as well like kind of everything is growing in every every direction it's kind of like the expansion of the universe right and so yeah but it's really difficult to have a you know once you start to introduce real code or like give you know no code platforms don't typically give access to all the underpinnings of things and so our philosophy is we don't want to get in the way of those underpinnings we want to let you engineer and architect it the way you want to for the reasons that you know millions of developers you know architect things these days so what it's funny is as much as no code is growing and without a doubt i mean you think about i mean i don't know if you're a tricky fan or not or i mean because it was always been like my funny comparison if you compare star wars to star trek Star yeah. Wars has almost no intelligent AI like systems. Like they have the they have the bots and the droids, but yeah. you don't you don't see anything that like the spacecraft are still dumb devices in a sense. The droid can fly, but not but the droid's not integrated into the uh, yeah. into yeah. the aircraft, right? right? And then if you look at obviously Star Trek, which has the computer in you know that you talk to that does certain things, is a far more integrated experience and it's as much as and, and and i mean i remember some some episodes like where where data is working with the computer to go write an algorithm to go solve the problem to do whatever yeah that's kind of the low code no code sort of experience where you want to talk to the computer to go build the app that you need to go and do etc but the, the point i'm trying to get to is that as much as we're going down the route of no code there's still the need to provide some level of code interaction that you so the low code piece is, is still relevant it's still important because no matter how much you low code it or no code it, you still have to provide that little bit extra that you can customize. And you mentioned the object model. Yeah. I think that's, that's you know, we, we have a thing inside of Phoenix One that, that's similar where you can reference the data fabric to get the fields out that you need. And that'll become more, more intelligent. And then what over time will happen, or at least in, in theory, is whatever we build as customized things using low code becomes components in the future because now we've seen someone use it a hundred times and we're just going to yeah. convert it into a widget or a whatever. And I'm assuming you did something similar with what you're doing. You're seeing repeating patterns that you can further improve and, and automate. Yeah, I think it's maybe interesting. Maybe we could dive into a little bit about, you know, no code, low code and code. I find it difficult to express why people choose code and the kinds of projects that people choose to code as opposed to no code, low code. And given that, you know, we both have a lot of experience in the space, maybe we could dive into that a bit. Yeah, because yeah, I think, I mean, the way I see low code, or maybe just like sort of reestablish a way of thinking about it, you have no code where there's some visual interface, you never have access to the code. And then there's low code, which usually is sort of like modules that plug in, right? And so it's like the platform establishes a certain like framework and then you can code on top of that framework. You know, you can put a little thing in there that can access the, the database underneath or whatever the data store is underneath. And then you have coded, which is kind of, you know, sort of free for all, right? But <laughs> I, where I sort of see the difference with code, I think my, my experience as an engineer with, and this is not just about like no code tools, well, also with things like templated solutions, is like that last little bit of control can be very difficult to get. I'd probably add a fourth one in there, which is probably in the middle between your your last one and the, and the second one. So I think in your in your low code environment, you're still going to have that piece where you may need to go build a plugin that goes into yeah. your low code, no code. That's not built by the vendor, by the platform. So mm. someone who's got the development skill can go right there. So you look at something like Salesforce or or Dynamics. You know, those are probably the the, the first ones that did this really well, where you could go build your component and deploy it into the marketplace yeah. and have it deployed into the app. But it's still written by a developer, like a you know a WordPress. WordPress is probably even a better example. Um, yeah. You know, the amount of add-ins and plugins that exist there, and then you still have the bespoke custom dev application that's completely you know specialist skill set, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. WordPress certainly plugins can get pretty deep. Yeah. I guess plugin model is 
I guess there are different flavors of plugin too, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think even in code, we might be able to split code into two buckets because you can code within frameworks and there's also things like templated solutions. For example, if you're writing a React app, you could bring in a carousel, like an image carousel component, right? That's someone else coded. And yeah. that's different than coding it from scratch yourself in terms of the level of control you get, the level of finesse. And so even in coding, there's sort of an ability to bring in other modules. Yeah, I guess there's just a lot of different ways to slice this this one up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what's great about what, what you're doing and what we're seeing market-wise is that the barrier to entry for a person with an idea is getting lower and lower for them to enter. And if you just look at something like Zapier or Make or Power Apps, whatever the market calls their thing now, and integrate services together, you know, a lot of things that you would never have done before, you can just do, provide you've got time to go and wire the things up. Now, obviously, there's nuances to those things. So they don't all work kind of how you want them to or whatever it is, but it still gets you there. And then I think with what you're doing, what we're doing in the sense of very niche things, you know, someone's coming in to build a, a front-end application to solve a problem. Any way to do that faster is, is, is a good thing, but also not having this reliance on a big dev team to go and build it because you, you're you getting efficiencies and effectiveness because you're using ways to get there faster and also in a better quality way. Because I think that's the other thing people always forget about. Everyone loves to build the app and no one wants the maintenance of the app. Yeah, because that's the really the painful part. That's actually where it gets more expensive because it was really badly built in the first place. That maintenance costs can spiral to the point. And I'm going through this with one of my products where we made some bad decisions up front. Well, I made some bad decisions up front, and we we're re-architecting some of the stuff, and we're now realizing how badly built some of the stuff was to the point that you know I was actually jokingly saying, "Well, I'm just going to be to generate the whole thing for me, and then we'll just see what it looks like." <laughs> that might be quick and that might just be less stressful but you know it's one of those still want yeah. someone with a bit of a creativeness to build it yeah i've been thinking a lot about sort of what differentiates or where, where you know everyone's i think these days thinking about where ai fits in and i think one way of kind of looking at it is first of all like there's a big difference between things that have been done before and things that haven't been done before and when it comes to things that haven't done before, I think the more things have been done, the more effective no-code platforms get to be. Like look at Squarespace, right? Or, or Wix. You want to do a simple marketing site. You want to do a simple blog. And there are actually a number of landing page products. We were using one. I'm blanking on the name right now. So maybe it'll come to me. But those kinds of things. And you know, if you want to do a marketing page, most people can get that done with no-code right? Because it's such a well-trodden, if you want to do e-commerce, you want to do a store or something like that, there are a lot of out-the-box solutions for that. But then if you want to build something like, say, LinkedIn.com, you know, it's like you won't really find a no-code platform or framework that will generate a site, a product of that, that complexity. And so I think that's kind of sort of where I see, there's sort of two ways that I see the spectrum from where no-code, low-code applies to code. It's more like the closer you get to a LinkedIn.com or the closer you get to, I don't know, TikTok or something like that, right? When TikTok came out, it's like the, the way it's scroll and the feed and like the way it's all organized, no one really anticipated that. And so you kind of need to get into the weeds on that. And that's sort of one axis. The other axis is, is a little harder for me to locate. Like our landing page, we actually started using, you know, when we were sort of pre-launch, we had a landing page builder that we used and it was really fast to iterate and get messaging out there. and and just get something up. And we transitioned 
over the summer, as we were getting a little more serious and heading towards launch, we just started building our own site. And we used Mighty Mail to do it to help us along the way. And it was nice for us to, you know, be able to dog food our product. But it wasn't just that reason that we did it. We wanted a certain level of control over the design, a certain level of finesse. And it was just difficult to get that, like just to get that elevation of our design in terms of the visual in a pre-existing platform. And that's a really small thing. Our landing page is very small, simple tried and true, been done a million times kind of thing. I think maybe Webflow would have been the closest tool for us if we wanted to use something no code. But even then there were there were things we wanted to do that would have maybe necessitated putting certain shadows or like integrating forms and other things that we just thought it was gonna be faster to hand code it. And that's like a more difficult access in terms of, well, yeah, a lot of people have done this before, but I wanna hand code my e-commerce app. Like why would you hand code an e-commerce app when it's been done a million times? But there's still cases where people end up wanting to do that. So that's, yeah, I, I wish I had good names for these or good a good language map. That's kind of why I want to open it up to you to just see how you understand it and, and how we can really talk well, about where these different things fit in. I think that the, yeah, the, the challenge, if you go back to, you know, early software development days, and I mean, you know, there's that joke that goes around, you can have it quick, you can have it quality, or you can have it cheap. Yeah. Sorry, or you can have two of those three things, right? Good, fa you good go fast, to, cheap. Yeah, good, fast, and cheap, pick two. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in the original days, I mean, everything was a waterfall project and you, you would sit and design it for six months before you even started writing the code. And then the business would be a year ahead uh, or yeah. changed. When you'd you mail, out the floppy mail out the floppy disks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right no, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, now you're in this, you know, there was a sort of overcorrection to agile where, where everything had to be, you know, the perceived thing is every two weeks you're changing priorities. Well, actually, no, every two weeks you were just doing a feedback loop on what you said you're going to build. It's still kind of following the same waterfall module but you're just trying to stay closer to the business and that and there's obviously different permutations of that and i think what i'm seeing with the low code and specifically what we're doing is the ability to follow more that cycle of constant feedback constant improvement but you still have to have the underlying platform that's got all the integrations you know it's connect everything up you know from from a fin financials point of view we take care of the regulations the governance all that kind of stuff but the app builder doesn't have to go and worry about all that stuff every time they build the app all they have to do is go and drag and drop and get all that stuff in. And then from a, you know, the economies of scale thing, you don't need to have 10 people go build the app 10 times doing the same thing. What they just have to go and do is go and customize their app from a UI point of view, knowing that the background stuff is done. And I think that's, you know, from our point of view, the value proposition. And I think what's similarly for you is, at least from my understanding of what your product does, is you've got that learning as well. And you're providing that, ex that acceleration for the builder because you've got X number of samples that have shown you this is a good way to go and, and speed it up. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are, I mean, certainly people are working agile when they're working with code and I'm sure there's some FinTech apps that wouldn't make sense for your platform and what your platform is doing. I haven't looked much into it is just basically said, look, there's this whole class of apps that all these people would be doing this repetitive work for, and mm. we're going to automate that. And so they don't have to do that repetitive work financial stuff, like connecting accounts, security, like all of that. Right. And, but if someone was, I don't know, wanting to, maybe there's some use cases though that may not fit in there. Right. Like, I'm not sure if you support crypto at all, but maybe someone has some, some crypto. So, yeah, I mean, what we end up doing is we will, we obviously have partners that deliver certain capabilities to us and, and we make, we take their APIs, we make them pretty and, and solve the problem. So what will happen for a customer is they will come and say, okay, I want to do crypto. And, we'll and they make okay, a module cool. for that. Yeah. Who's your provider? Like 
let's go talk to them and then we'll go and see what they you know we'll go check out the provider we'll make sure that they fit with the compliance and mm-hmm. and depending on what the jurisdiction is the what other services you have in mind so if you're going to work with a, a uk bank now there's some regulation around crypto in the uk that's coming into place so there's some stuff to mm-hmm. factor in so all those things will happen as part of a due diligence due care process yeah. but what will happen in the end is that when you go and build your app you're not going to go worry about it every single time you drag on a payment widget to go and do a transfer to go buy some crypto. You'll know that when you drag on the payment widget, all the pages you need, all the widgets will generate and create the experience for you. And then all you have to do is make sure the color's right, make sure that you, you know, you can't delete the fields that are mandatory, but you can move them around. Like you can get, so you get the usability thing that you want. So it's your experience, but you know that what you're compliant and you're regulated because all your providers that if you sign up to will make sure that you are because they'll audit you. Yeah. So we try and, you know, so there's a sort of double whammy here in the sense of we do make it quicker for you. We do make it cheaper for you because we cut a lot of the stuff you have to go and learn and redo. And we do give you full functionality because we've done all that work for you. And then what happens is because economies of scale on the platform is you end up with other other clients who want different things that you can just benefit from because you're on the platform. So yeah. much like you would with with WordPress or, or whatever it is. So so that's you know how we're doing it. But you don't use a no-code tool to make your platform. No, I mean we do have generative components that we you know, generally yeah. we bring in, but it is a dev shop. Yeah. I mean, we're... yeah, I think there's certain situations where maybe we could think of it in terms of the, there's like that foundational layer, maybe there's like a bottom yes. and a middle and a top. And so for your product, you provide the bottom layer and then people use that to quickly and efficiently do the middle and the top. Right. But when it comes time to actually right. building your product in your shop, you're in control of the bottom layer, but you're bringing in things in the middle and the top. Like you're bringing in components, yes. you're bringing in 100%. toolkits, you're bringing in frameworks. And yeah, it's maybe that's one way of thinking about it. No, that's, yeah. that's exactly it. So so that's, so the platform, you know, the Phoenix One platform in this case is a platform. And then yeah. you know, when a customer comes in, and it is a thing to discuss, you know, conceptually all the time with people, this is, you know, internally and, and with customers is we're not a dev shop to go build you the widget that only works for you. Where we we have to conceptually look at what you want. So in the UK we have a company's house, which is where yeah. every single company is registered and and directors are listed. So when you drag on a company widget, let's say company name, you can also drag on the the directors widgets or the people's widgets that come in. Now each of those things will have logic built in to go and check the minute you have a first name and a surname to go for a company to go check that that person is a valid director of the company straight away. You don't have to go and tell it to anything. Okay, they can turn that off or on. That's pretty much the thing. But that capability is available to you. We didn't go and build that for every, for anyone. So literally, we built it for everybody. Now, when it comes to things like you want to go and build your own flow or your own workflow or whatever it is, you have that capability too. But you're playing at this top level. So instead of going into Figma and designing your whole app in Figma, you could design everything in our UI because it's built like Figma. And then you basically press play, and you know you got an app. Now, obviously. Got to deploy it through the app stores and all that stuff. But, yeah. you know, the reality is you're building an app as quickly as possible as you could without having to write much code. Uh, yeah. And the code that you do write is is ways to, this is the sort of low-code piece, where you're accessing the data model because you want to do a customized greeting based on the time of day, which we didn't build, we haven't built a widget for because we thought, well, if we built this functionality to basically access the data model, that's far more functional and rich for a designer than building a greeting widget that, will have to be changed yeah. over time. So, so, yeah, so your, your analogy of three layers is perfectly correct. Yeah, that's exactly the way to put yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it's like, could you actually have automation in all three of those layers? 
I think that's that's sort of the thing that's elusive, right? Is a system where you can be, you're not worrying about the infrastructure at the same time that infrastructure can handle anything, right? <laughs> just to have automation, yeah. like the kind of platform where you could, all of your backend stuff could just be automated and all the UI could be automated. And I think, yeah, it's almost like you have to choose. Do you want to be working on the bottom, you know, have control of the foundation? And then leveraging all these things to make it easier. Even on the foundation, there are a lot of things you can. Anyway, yeah, I think and, I'm getting closer to, to understanding it. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, and, this and, conversation. And, and, yeah. No, no, it's great. Yeah, and I think I mean that's where I think we will we will go at some point is that the platform, which is extensible already, but you will have partners that will want to build their own widgets, for one of a yeah. better term, or you know the ability for us to bring in an API is no longer a case of you know a de development cycle. It's a discovery of the API methods, sucking it in, yeah. you know, generating widgets off those methods. And, you know, there you go, you're off to the races. Yeah, that's an area that's seen a lot of growth lately is various degrees of automation over connecting APIs together mm. and allowing them to speak to one another. Yeah, and, and I can't believe, I mean, the micro SaaS ecosystem, there are just so many businesses that just offer one little service. Yeah. You know, $5 a month and you can have, you know, weather history and weather, current weather, predicted weather and, and history of weather. That's, yeah. that's a service. That's a business. Yeah. It's, it's striking how many, you know, businesses they just, they offer an API and that's the whole, the whole business is an API. So um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share with anybody. No, you know, I, of course, encourage people to check out Mighty Meld if you're a front end developer or, or building custom apps. But yeah, I mean, that's nothing else comes to mind. So that's, yeah. Well, fantastic. It's been great chatting with you. I really enjoyed our discussion. Yeah. Do you want people to contact you direct on LinkedIn or is there a website? What would you prefer? Yeah, you can just find me on LinkedIn and message me there. Yeah, I have a, my last name is, it's pronounced Skolny, but the spelling is, I'm pretty easy to find on online. So just <laughs> feel free to drop me in it. Yeah. Well, it's been great chatting to you and I uh, look Likewise. forward to chatting to you in the future. All right, cheers. Have Super. a great one. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.